This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I would like you to turn to Psalm 42. And as you turn to Psalm 42, I'm going to read uh, just two verses from Jeremiah 23, which you don't need to turn to. So you put your finger in Psalm 42 for the moment. So Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I do not see him? says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. Am I a God near at hand and not a God afar off? The overwhelming evidence of Scripture is that God is a God who desires always to be near his children. He's not a God that's aloof, that's afar off, that's distant, that's uninvolved, that's unattached from the affairs of his people. And right from the beginning, this was so. We see that in the Garden of Eden, where God came in the cool of the day, and he fellowshiped, and he conversed with Adam and Eve at that particular time. He wanted to be close to them. We also see it whenever the children of Israel were going through the wilderness journeys to the Promised Land, and how he was with them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And also whenever they set up camp, and they surrounded the tabernacle that they had put up and in the tabernacle in the most holy place there was the ark and then there was the cherubims and then there was the Shekinah glory cloud of God signifying that God was right in the very midst of the camp but of course wonderful as that is that God was not content to just tabernacle himself in a tent in the wilderness or even in the temple in Jerusalem, but actually he wanted to get closer than that. So John says the word was made flesh and came and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And then when Jesus returned at the right hand of the Father, he said, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And he came in the power and the form of the Holy Spirit, who just didn't dwell with us, but who has dwelt within us. However, although we know that scripturally and we know it's practically true, yet there are times, there are moments in our Christian lives and we have a feeling, and I say a feeling because it's not actually true, a feeling that God at that moment seems distant, afar off. Somehow or other we don't sense or feel his nearness or his presence. And this is most likely to come whenever there is a delay and an answer to prayer or when the sickness is long and lingering or the promise is unfulfilled or the unexpected news has rocked your world. You got that phone call, you opened that letter and suddenly, suddenly you feel down and maybe a little depressed and maybe a little defeated even. And so you put on a brave face, you smile at the appropriate time, but inwardly, 
In those moments, inwardly, perhaps you feel God is a million miles away from me. I don't feel him. I can't hear his voice. When I read my Bible, I don't get anything from it. The heavens seem like brass. And for a while, that seems to be the way. Now, how could that happen? How could that happen? Does God not care about my predicament? Does he not really want to be involved? And yet he promised he would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He'd be with me even to the end. But yet I know that. I know it scripturally. I know it intellectually. But emotionally at this moment, I don't feel that. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had those moments? In Psalm 42, three times in this psalm, he said his soul was cast down. His soul was bowed down. And again and again, his detractor said to him, where is your God? Where is this God that you boasted about? Where is this great God that you talk so much about? Where is this God who you said was always there to help me? Where is he now? That's what his detractors were saying. Now, nobody knows for absolutely certain who actually wrote this psalm. Some think it was a wandering Levite and he was far from home and he was missing the house of God and he was going through a terrible time in his life. Others feel it was, uh, that it was David. And perhaps maybe it was a time when he was on the run from Absalom, his son, who usurped him and wanted his throne and actually wanted to kill his own father. And so he was away. He was away from Jerusalem and he was away from the house of God, the place where he, he loved to be. He said, rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And, and it sounds Davidic when you read it. But others reckon it to be penned by King Hezekiah whenever illness was definitely going to cut short his young life. And it would seem to be maybe perhaps, we can't be absolutely sure that that would fit the bill, that the psalmist probably was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was second only to David as the greatest kings in Judah. He started to reign when he was 25 years old. He reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And he was a tremendous king because the nation at that time was in a terrible state spiritually. But this man was a reformer. He was a reformer both spiritually and politically. And Isaiah the prophet uh, was his confidant. So he was very fortunate. He had one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament as his friend and confidant and his helper. And so between the two of them, they were causing great reforms to be in the nation, drawing people back to God again, getting to lay down their idols, walk away from their, their foreign gods and worship the true and living God. Politically, he was getting them to, to break off liaisons and, and deals they had made with Egypt and different other nations. And so it was a tremendous time. Uh, and so between them, they were doing a great work and he was a great king, but they were both fighting a battle on two fronts. Judah was full of religious cults and false gods. And on the other hand, the dreaded Assyrians of the north, that warlike nation that had already scattered the ten 
tribes of Israel, because this was the time of the divided nation. He already scattered them to the four winds, and they were threatening to come south to Judah and Benjamin, who was the southern kingdom, the smallest of them. He was threatening to come down and destroy them and wipe them out. And so these were two fronts. This was a difficult period, a hard time that they were going through and fighting and battling. And so here's this godly king, and he's serving God faithfully. And, and he's turning the nation back to God in spite of much opposition he was receiving. And now his health is severely challenged. In fact, he was sick unto death, literally sick unto death. It was so bad that Hosea, his trusted confidant and prophet, came and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, because you shall surely die and not live. And he knew that Isaiah was a true prophet. So he knew this was from God. And so that's the position he's in. And if ever God must have seemed far away from him, it must have been at that time, at that moment in his life. Just at that moment, he must have felt, God, you're a million miles away from me. You've just told me I'm going to die. And the hordes of the Syrians are about to come. And we're just trying to get our people back to worshiping you. And then you hit me with such bad news. He must have felt God was a million miles away. And for all the times for this to happen to him, because he was in his prime. And he was doing a fantastic job. And he was living godly. Then all of a sudden, the rug was pulled out from under him. And he's sick, and there is no cure. It's terminal. Even the prophet said so. So what does he do? What do you do in those situations? Well, he turned his face onto the wall, and he cried unto the Lord, and he wept bitterly. Let me just read that to you in 2 Kings chapter 20. Here's the exact moment. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done that which was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And so they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. So this was more than just a skin problem. The boil was the outside evidence that something was wrong inside. So every disease he had, it was terminal. He was going to die until God reversed that. And notice how 
God even used a lump of figs. I mean, he could have just miraculously said, it's okay, you're not going to die, but he put a lump of figs on him. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, this is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Here's the sign. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? That's on the sundial. And Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. And so Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So that in itself is just an absolutely amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Defies all logic, defies all physics, defies all science that God is God and he can do whatever he likes. Mm -hmm. He made the sun, he made the moon, he made the stars and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And so God does something special for this man promises him he's going to be healed, promises that he'll go to the house of God, promises him, don't worry about those Assyrians, I'll take care of them for you. So don't fret, everything's all right. In fact, I'm going to add 15 years onto your lifespan. And so perhaps this psalm was written in such a time uh, as this. So let's now begin to read the psalm and be encouraged as we read this and then I'll share with you some things because of it at the top of the my psalm in my bible it says yearning for God in the midst of distresses <laughs> yearning for God in the midst of distresses to the chief musician a contemplation of the sons of Korah who were the musicians as the deer pants for the water brooks so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So obviously it's been a while since he's been to the house of God because of his illness. My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? <coughs> now, what I admire about this man is this. Here he is, at undoubtedly the lowest point of his life, he's really, really ill. He's just been told he's about to die. And yet, in spite of all of that, his heart's greatest desire is to be in the house of God. He wants to be in God's house. He wants to worship the Lord. May his tribe increase. Sometimes the tiniest little thing happens to Christians and the house of God is dropped immediately. You never see them. They're gone. Just a tiny little thing happened and they get so upset that they're gone. But not this man. At his worst time, at his worst moment, when he was feeling the lowest, he says, I want to be in God's house. I'm panting after it like a deer punts after the waters. Like the deer that was being hounded and dogged by the dogs that wanted a river to jump into to get 
to slake its thirst and to keep safe from the dogs, the dogs that was chasing it. And this is what he's feeling. He feels that my, my life is being dogged right now. Even, even those around me say, well, where's your God in the midst of this? Where's God now? But in spite of that, he just wants to be in the house of God. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go to, with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. He's remembering, he's looking back at the good times when he went with a crowd to the house of God. Those were special moments in his life. This man was a spiritual reformer. Remember, this man has drawn people back to the house of God who had left it. He was leading the way. He says, I desperately miss those times. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Why? I know the word of God. I know to trust God. I know no matter what situation comes along, God's in control. I know all of that. And since I know all of that, why is my soul disquieted within me? We know all these things, don't we? We know God's for us. We know the Word of God. We know that God's on our side. So why should we be disquieted? But yet we are at times, aren't we? To be honest, isn't there times when you feel that way? When you look inward and you say, why do I feel the way I feel? I should know better. I know the Word of God. I know these things. But there's just those moments when this is how you feel. And then he says, hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. <laughs> Hope in God, I shall yet praise him. Nothing is going to stop me praising God. No matter how bad things are, I will continue to praise God. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hell Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. <laughs> he's thinking, and he's thinking about the Jordan, who its source is Mount Hermon, and how at certain seasons, whenever the source when the snow caps are melting in Mount Hermon and the, the, the rivers down the side of Hermon becomes flooded and the river's in full spate and it comes rushing and tumbling down the mountain into the Jordan and it's churning and it's billowing and he says, that's how I feel. It's as if the billows is coming over my head as if I've been swept away in a torrent and a rush and I can't do anything about it. I'm helpless, I'm powerless. That's how I feel. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel there was a time when everything was just sweeping you away and you felt powerless and helpless to do anything about it? It was out of your control. That's how he's feeling. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. In spite of it all, in spite of it all, he says, God will command his love and kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You see, no matter how difficult this moment was for him, something inside of him still trusted and honored and worshiped God. 
I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now there's a bit of a, a bit of a contradiction, if you will. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Remember Peter lying up on the roof of Simon the Tanner and how God gave him a vision of that big sheet coming down with all those creepy crawlies and things that was unlawful for a Jew to eat. And the Lord says, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Remember what Peter says? Not so, Lord. <laughs> no way, Lord. But if he's Lord, you can't say no way. If he's Lord, all you can say is, yes, Lord. He's either Lord or isn't Lord. And so here's a little bit of a contradiction. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Or, or, he's maybe saying, God, I know, absolutely know that you are my rock. You never change. You are unchanging. You're stable. You're steady. You're fixed. <coughs> and even though I'm going through all of this, and even though my emotions is all over the place, and even though I'm fighting and struggling with this, I'm going through, but Lord, you're still the rock. You're not going to change. You're the strong one. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, maybe you don't have anybody physically, a person saying to you right now, where is your God? But maybe in your mind, maybe the enemy has whispered and put that thought in your mind. Where is God? Where is he now? When I need him the most, I don't feel him. I'm not experiencing his presence. Does he not care? Because the enemy of your soul would want to put that into your mind. And here he had people reminding him all the time, where is your God now, the one you boast in? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So what do you do when God seems distant, far away, doesn't seem near at all? What do you do in those times? Well, let me give you three things. First of all, you walk by faith, not by your feelings. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight, which means the same thing. Walk by faith, not by your feelings. You can see here, reading that psalm, that Hezekiah is struggling with his feelings. His feelings is up, then they're down. He's back, he's forward. One minute he's praising God, the next minute he's in the depths. One minute he's super confident in God, the next minute he's not sure. Because he's on an emotional roller coaster. At this moment, his feelings is dictating. And so we, we have to learn to walk by faith, not by our feelings. Now, I know, and I keep saying this repeatedly, when you get bad news, your first instinct, even as a believer and even as a seasoned believer, your first instinct with bad news is the default thing is 
negative. Negative. We just think this is negative. Now, sometimes that only lasts a few seconds. Sometimes it's minutes. Sometimes it's days. But that's our default position when you get bad news. If somebody rings you up tonight at 12 o'clock, I guarantee you're not going to jump out in bed and say, wonderful, somebody's got great news for me tonight. They couldn't wait till I get up in the morning. They're just so keen to tell me this wonderful news. No, 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 no. Somebody rings you at 12 tonight, you're thinking, who in the world is ringing me at 12 o'clock at night? There must be something wrong. I'm, I'm about to get bad news. That's our default position, isn't it? That's our humanity. Luther said, feelings come and feelings go, but feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in his unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Instead <laughs> of Luther one time that the devil was giving him an awful time in bed one night and torturing him. So he got out the word of God and he opened it up and he said, here, devil, you read that. I'm going to sleep. And he put it down his bed. <laughs> And I wouldn't doubt another did that. And so walk by faith, not by your feelings. All of us is feelings. I'm no different than you are. All of us struggle with our feelings. But as believers, then, we need our faith to overcome our feelings. Otherwise, we're finished, aren't we? Secondly, even if your faith seems weak, don't lose your hope. Even if your faith seems weak, don't lose your hope. Twice in that psalm, verse 5 and 11, he said, Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Hope in God. Hebrews 11, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without hope, faith has nothing to substantiate. Faith brings to pass what you're hoping for, but you have to have a hope. In photographic terms, hope is a negative, faith is a print. In architectural terms, hope is the blueprint, faith is the building. In sculpture, hope is the big block of marble, but faith is the angel that comes out of that marble. Abraham in Romans 4, 17, 18. It says, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. But note this, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. Who contrary to hope, in hope believe. Who contrary to natural hope because everybody, we all have natural hope. We hope for this, we hope for that, we hope for the other. But his hope was gone because his wife couldn't physically ever, at her age, give birth, couldn't conceive, never mind give birth. So all natural hope was gone, but he believed in hope. What hope? A spiritual hope. A hope that was born of God in his heart. 
a hope that was born of the word that God gave to him. That spiritual hope rose up in his heart when all natural hope was gone and couldn't do anything. But he had a spiritual hope that rose up in his heart. And that caused him his faith to put some substance on that hope. And of course he got his son Isaac, his son of promise. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So we're not talking about hope soism here. We're talking about a spiritual hope. Something that is born of God in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Not just the thing you're hoping for when it's deferred, but hope itself when it's deferred, it makes the heart sick. When you have no hope at all, never mind the natural, but if you know hope spiritually, it makes the heart sick because there's nothing to hold on to. So even when your faith seems weak, don't lose your hope. And then thirdly, prayer and praise can make all the difference. Verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so this man, in spite of all he's going through, he says, I'm going to praise God. And I'm going to keep on praying. No matter how I feel, this is what I'm going to do. Even though the Assyrians were threatening, even though there was much opposition to what he was doing, and even though he'd just been hit with bad news, but in spite of all of that, his heart is still to praise God and to keep on praying. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. There's something about a praise unto God, a thank you. And sometimes that in itself is enough at that time as a praise. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I am born again of your spirit. Listen, God doesn't owe us anything. Should he never give us anything, he's given us the best that he possibly could give, the life of his son. If that's not enough to thank him for for the rest of eternity, I don't know what is. And so sometimes just thanking God for what he's done for us, that can lift your spirit. That can help you when bad things are happening around you. You'll not feel like it. You certainly won't feel like it. But then we walk by faith and not by our feelings. Uh, in Habakkuk, you know the scripture well. You don't need to turn to it. Chapter 3, towards the end of that chapter. Verse 17, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, 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 in spite of all of that, 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I mean, it couldn't get any worse than that. Sure, it couldn't. But he says, no matter. He says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me to walk on my high hills. He's in the lowest valley he can feel. But he says he's going to put me in high hills. He'll give me feet like deer's feet that are so sure they can climb up a mountain, a sheer mountain. I was looking at a, a, a photograph that somebody took of a mountain goat somewhere, and it was Alaska or what it was. It was a sheer mountain. It was like glass. And there's this goat going up it. With no clampons and no ropes or anything. <laughs> it had sheer feet. And this man says, God will give me feet like deer's feet. I'll not be slipping and sliding. I'll be established. I'll be sure. I'm going to climb this mountain that God has given me. Amen. Remember when Paul and Silas were in jail and at midnight they prayed and they praised <laughs> at midnight at the darkest hour after they had been beaten and they were in pain and they were dumped in an old rat-infested, dirty, filthy hole. And in spite of it, they began to pray and to praise God. And when they did, God sent that earthquake and it shook that place. And the gates flew open. And the jailer nearly had a heart attack because if he lost any prisoners, he was but dead meat, so he was. And Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. <laughs> Everything's okay. God's in control. That man gave his life to Christ that day. His whole family too. God can do amazing things, can't he? Supernatural, out of the ordinary, unbelievable, not logical, not rational, beyond this world's understanding, God is God, and he can do it. Peter was in jail awaiting his execution. It was to happen the next morning. But there was a prayer meeting in John Mark's house. And the big angel of the Lord went to the prison. Peter was lying sleeping, handcuffed and chained to the guards, and he slapped those chains right off him. And he walked right out. The gate just opened up before him. He just walked right out. And he knew people was praying for him because he knew which house to go to. And then that wee girl came out, and she didn't believe it was Peter. <laughs> Bless her. Peter had to convince her, no, it really is me. Well, but you're in jail, yeah, but you've been praying. And <laughs> you can imagine the conversation that must have went on. Joshua, he's at Jericho, that great wall city. They've come across the Jordan, and this is the first great, big, massive obstacle to possessing the promised land. The Lord gives him direction. He says, I want you to march around it for six days. And I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant way out in front and put some guards in front of that. And I want you to put the priests behind the Ark, seven of them, with seven rams, horns, shofars, trumpets. And as you walk around, I don't want you to say one word. Don't speak a word, but let those priests blow their trumpets. And they did that for six days. And then he says, on the seventh day, get up really, really early because you're going to have to do this seven times on the seventh day. So that's 13 times altogether. But he says, on the last lap, 
Only then, when you get the order, then you're to shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how ridiculous that must be? Even in their minds, thinking, here we're walking around, the priest is blowing the trumpets. What in the world is that going to do? How is that going to affect this situation? But God is God. That was his plan. And so they obeyed, and they did it. And in the 13th lap, they blew the trumpets, and they shouted with a great shout, and it says the walls just fell down flat, and they marched straight in. You see, praise can bring walls down, walls of opposition, walls of harassment, walls that will try to keep us out from fulfilling the purposes of God. But all they had to do was blow the trumpets and give a great shout. And so Hezekiah had his health restored. Fifteen years were added onto his life. His enemies, the Assyrians, God took care of them. God dealt with them. What a turnaround. What a change. What a wonderful end result for this man. When we began to read, things looked really grim and dark, didn't they? Emotionally, he was all over the place. He just got the worst news of his life. Who wouldn't have been? Certainly, we would have been like that too. But yet, in spite of that, there was something in this man that says, I just, I just want to get back to God's house. <laughs> I just want to be praising God and worshiping the Lord. I want to be with God's people again. And he wept because he was going to miss all of that. And God sent the prophet. He was in the, the middle court, and God says, go back again. Tell him I'm going to hate him and give him 15 more years and take care of those terrible Assyrians. Tell him not to worry about a thing. Everything is under my control. Isn't that good? <laughs> then when you know that everything's under God's control. But he was praising God in spite of it didn't just wait until he got the good. He was praising God in spite of it. And that's what we've got to do as well. Amen? So, Lord, we thank you. We bless you and we thank you that our lives are in your hands tonight. They're not in the devil's hands. They're not in this world's hands. They're in your hands. And, Lord, we feel safe and secure and confident because we're in your hands. And so nothing, Lord, would happen ever to us would take you by surprise because you know the end from the beginning. So as we leave your house tonight, we leave with confidence that you are holding us in the palm of your hand. And we're trusting you, we're believing, we're having faith in you, and we're praising you, and we're giving you thanks for who you are and for all that you've done and for all that you will yet do in each of our lives to your honor and to your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk